Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Susan Tekla-Kriglenska, and we are in Minute 113, which begins with Ripley exiting the elevator and ends with Ripley turning right as she follows the tracker signal. Yeah, uh, Susan, thanks for coming back again on day three. Thank you for having me on this episode that is just chock full of not a whole lot, but uh, we do have Joe (laughs) Dater here. Hello. How do you do? I'm glad to be back once again. Uh, for this very exciting uh, group of uh, minutes uh, of the uh, of the uh, alien free segment of aliens, <laughs> the yeah dialogue alien free no 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 new no well, yeah. There's, uh, what you do get though a lot of sweat. There's a lot of sweat. Steam. There's a lot of sweat, and you don't see any of the monsters. And if you watch this minute over and over again for seven years, you are now a fan of The Walking Dead. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty similar. Yes. You do get some fire in this minute. We do get a little fire, right? And lightning. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? Yeah. She, and I love this that she gives this little precautionary, you know, burst of flame upward. She's found some sort of a apparently I don't know if it's like a vent that's coming down, something she spotted um, that she shoots upward. We just a few minutes ago, Vasquez got the, you know, the alien got the jump on Vasquez from above. And, and you know, Ripley wasn't witness to that or anything. But, you know, you just wonder, you think, well, Ripley's a bit, she's the alien expert. Maybe she would have helped Vasquez out in that situation and made sure, you know, that the, she was looking up before uh, she went under that uh, uh, vent that the alien jumped down on her from. But yeah, how is Ripley's my... on top of it. She's experienced. She's been, th- she's stalked through things looking for aliens before. So, and by the way, how is my old friend Vasquez? Oh, uh, she, uh, she, yeah, she's gone, Joe. I'm sorry. I was trying to think of a way to, to, to put this yeah. to you lightly, but she uh, oh. killed herself along uh, with uh, Gorman uh, by exploding a grenade. Oh, Vasquez, we hardly knew you. And by the <laughs> yes. way, I'm from the Bronx. I've known a lot of people. I'm from the Bronx, Vato. I've known a lot of people named Vasquez, and I've always called them Vasquez, and none of them ever corrected me on it. <laughs> none of them ever, ever once called me out on that. And and now I don't know what to feel. I think I feel like I should be uh, a little embarrassed, but on the other hand, I want to pull rank a little bit and say, I'm from the Bronx. I get to, I get to say Vasquez if I want to. You can if you want. I, I mean, yeah. They do say Vasquez multiple times in the movie. But uh, I didn't watch the movie, so I don't know. I don't know. That. That's true. That's yeah. true. I forgot so, you didn't watch yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I think somebody did. Somebody call you out on that or something? I think on Facebook yeah, more than more than one person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but none of them are from the Bronx, and so I disregard their opinion. As long as you're from the Bronx, you can call anybody whatever you want. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the takeaway precisely. From and who else knows that? But Stanley Kubrick. Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick knew he, that. He, he used to call people Vasquez. He, All the time. That was a Kubrick. Whatever their Kubrick, name was. It was a Kubrick thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how he uh, he he was totally uh, messing with Shelley Duvall's mind the whole time. Calling yeah. her Vasquez. Yeah. Yes. He keeps calling me Vasquez. <laughs> it's <understand>. Vasquez. <laughs> That's what she kept saying. Yes. There, so there's, not a, there's, no, there's no actual story beats that happen in this minute. But you do get a lot of great shots of the interior of this uh, power plant in Acton, England, where they were filming. There's some very nice steam and a lot of blue lights, and it's very, very 80s. Yeah. yeah. 
And again, this is a, ex- the uh, holding the gun and the flame coming out of the the front of it yeah. is straight out of the original Alien. This is just a complete reflection of you know the toward the ending of the original Alien when when she had already set the um, ship to self destruct and was making her way to the escape pod. She had the same type of gun mm-hmm. with flames flying out of the front, blazing, and. Uh, There's- Creeping along the lo- the walls. I have some trivia about that gun. Okay. Is during the filming of this movie that gun became Mrs. James Cameron. Aww. Isn't that it's sweet, right? That's nice. They Just met switch. on set and they honeymooned right after the film was over. <laughs> the producer um, was not happy about that. Yeah, I would well, say the producer was Gail Ann Hurd. Hurd was probably a little upset him at the time. About that. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to point out that this is a slightly different gun, and this has been brought up multiple times on the show, but I I feel like this is the first time we've actually seen it close up. Actually, we had that close up of her igniting the uh, pilot light there in uh, the last minute. We didn't mention it, but um, it is different in the fact that it it has a blue flame pilot light as opposed to just a big giant flame sticking out of the front of it like it did in Alien, which yeah. um, we have discussed a couple of times as being like a Cameron innovation, that something that he probably saw when he was watching Alien and said, well, that's that's ridiculous. It should have a pilot light on the front of it. And one of the little things that he, uh, his technical mind, his, you know, uh, blue collar background would have helped him with. Yeah. So, yeah. It's subtle, but it just, I mean, it, it just adds to the verisimilitude of it. It's that great combination of that what always works that they say about Star Wars. It's always, it's the unusual with the familiar. It's things that you know because you've seen them in real technology on Earth. Now, something that's not too realistic, I would think, is the light, little bits of lightning we are constantly seeing in the background. Uh, is that, does that seem like something that would really happen? Nope. Uh, yeah. Was well, that the power plant is getting ready to self-destruct. Yeah. And that's how it's, it gets ready. It's like Frankenstein. By throwing lightning. Right. It's like Frankenstein's uh, laboratory. Exactly. Yeah. It's There should be that, that booze thing, as Steve Martin Yeah. And it. that lightning was borrowed from the Terminator. Um, they had filmed that light. <laughs> there was laying around in a it's, box. It's completely They literally true. had a... You, you, they say you can't keep lightning in a box, but they actually had it in a crate. They had crates of lightning in storage after the Terminator was done. And you just open it up and grab a piece of lightning and put it all over the set. Oh, Here, throw the, some lightning over there. PA. Some lightning over there. That one unfortunate PA that tripped and, and dropped that crate of lightning. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. That guy that got fired. Tragic day on the set. That there. guy got fired. Got well, first electrocuted, then fired. It's true. It's true, though. It's true that they had they had come up with that lightning for Terminator, and he was like, hey, let's just send it over. It's true. Well, uh, he, didn't, he didn't waste a thing. I mean, Terminator was obviously a huge um, gearing up for aliens, let's face it. Yeah, yeah in a lot of ways, for sure. Um, I did want to say you said Joe earlier that there's no story points in this minute. There's a there's a slight one, and I don't I guess I don't know if you call it a story point. It's just a bit of foreshadowing, and that's when the elevator closes. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about it as anything more than her just noticing the elevator close. And I think I even thought of it more, and it could still be what it what it's about. Her more is like okay, the door's shut behind me. You know, it's this is point of no return kind of an idea when she turns around and they actually cut to the elevator closing. But I also think it's a little bit of foreshadowing for later, as we've already discussed, when the queen comes out of the elevator. Um, I think that's just something that happens behind her. Maybe it's a, a, a point where she's made a little bit nervous by a sound that's happening behind her because she's in this precarious situation. But also I think it's supposed to r- remind us about the elevator, what it sounds like when it closes. So later when she hears that sound, 
and turns and, and the queen comes out that, that we're just like, it's just a little point of reminder and a little bit of foreshadowing to that. Unless I'm reading way too much into it, which I tend to do because I'm talking about hundreds of minutes of a movie. No, I think it's good. It's good storytelling. Cameron is letting you know that the doors of this elevator are capable of closing. <laughs> You're right. And, and, Don't and setting you up for that so that later on when that happens, it's a, there's a payoff. No, but later, You're not confused by that. Like, wait, what? What happened with the door? Later, she does have trouble getting the elevator, right? Isn't it kind yes. of a classic, like, you know, punching the button over and over again, waiting for the elevator? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should devalue the idea of just, like, establishing a sound effect, though. Like, yeah. remember, like, think about Die Hard and how many times that elevator sound is necessary. So we get that elevator sound very early in the movie when he's just waiting for an elevator on Die Hard. And, and nothing is happening yet at all. We get that specific ding and later in the movie, that's multiple times that comes up where it's a warning to him. Oh, it's yeah. a predecessor sure. of something that's going to happen to him. And it was all established in our brain as, uh, okay, that's the sound of someone arriving. You yeah, know? you know what it's, so, like? it's like? It's like Martin Balsam sneezing in the taking of Pelham 123. Exactly. That's one of the greatest sound effects, you know, setups of all time. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, is the Martin Balsam sneeze, spoiler alert, at the end of uh, <laughs> Taking of Pelham 123 is one of my favorite endings to any movie ever. Bump, so, bump, bump. <laughs> funny that you mention it. Bump, bump, bump. Well, you, get, you get that sneeze and then you get, you know, the great, one of the great movie faces of all time yep. looking back to the door. Mathau's side look. And then the soundtrack comes in. Yeah. Uh, a perfect movie. I'm saying it here on the air. The original Taking of Pelham One Two Three is a perfect movie. We like that movie. It's a good movie. You yes. go and you go and find something wrong with that movie and come back to me. I'll I'll debunk whatever you say. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> there's there's nothing there's nothing uh, there I can find. Yeah. Um, so the the Siggy gets out of the elevator. And Siggy. 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 Sigmund the um, sea monster gets out of the elevator. Siggy played guitar. Yes. <laughs> Um, whose real name is Susan. Say what? Yeah. Didn't you know that? Oh, S S Sigourney Weaver's real name is Susan? Yes. Yeah, she looks like a Susan. Well, all right. <laughs> I should have changed my name to Sigourney. Um, I, I mean, she, hey, it's never too late. Or Siggy. Siggy. From now on, I'm Siggy. That's it. You've settled it. it. You're Siggy. I like it. You're Siggy like from it. now on. She gets out. I do, I do want to say her play acting is a little unconvincing here. Like she gets out of the elevator and she's sort of doing this thing of like, she turns around quickly and shoots fire. And like, Ooh, you hear something? What? What? And she's going around cause she's got n nothing to play against she's by herself yeah. in this corridor. And it's a bit, I guess there's no way to not look silly doing that. Cause it comes off as like a little kid play acting like, like, uh, you know, cops and robbers with a gun going over there, over there. And she's turning around with it. it. It just, it always looks a little bit silly, but it's just, enough to sort of almost take me out of the movie just that moment well i'm trying to picture you joe like in this <laughs> how, how exactly you mean? would you you're thinking you're, you're gonna go strutting through this like <laughs> casually I, I don't think i would do better than this no. top-rated actress in this scene well i i mean even just uh, you know not as an actress but ripley herself she's she's terrified she's right um, but I don't know what you would really do in that scene. Like, she's literally, like, she's doing a thing where, like, she suddenly turns around and points her gun in that direction as if she just heard something over there. And it just comes off as, like, hamming it up a little bit. Well, 
this yeah. is the haunted house. I mean, again, this is it's a throwback. A ha- this, is, this is throwback to the first alien and her, you know, it's, it's, it is a very, I, th- I think actually I would argue that it's a very effective build up. Mm. Um, and in, and I know where we're, we're headed here. Yeah. You mentioned it's a haunted house. A haunted house. And I would like to ask you because you're the host now of the shining two, three, seven. Yes. How would you compare uh, Ripley with her gun uh, going around this this haunted house, uh, uh, virtual haunted house, to uh, Wendy Torrance, Shelley Duvall, uh, going around towards the end of The Shining with her baseball bat, uh, trying to ward off danger. Right, it's very similar. It's it's the it's the you know hugging the walls and crawling slowly and uh, just look of terror. Um, and uh, it is a little unfortunate that uh, you know we don't have a little blowjob bear scene here to, to just liven th- at least for that the sake of when the elevator door uh, opened we should have had sake, that happen with the elevator door for open. the sake of me and joe it would have been it that would have been nice but yeah. uh you know or a guy with his head cut in half with a drink cheering her on great party isn't it <laughs> exactly but yeah it's it is the it's the classic um and and uh, you know i think it works well with a, a female too in that you know uh you know the terror, and and uh, you know I think that's the conduit for the audience, just like Lambert was in the first one, and Shelley Duvall is in The Shining, and uh, here you know we have this very realistic reason to be mm-hmm. terrified. Um, we you know, and and it doesn't always work when you have you know Bruce Willis as the conduit for that, but um, when you have you know we're more used to female roles, of, you know women have a more natural. Uh, we're always prey <laughs> in this world, so we tend to, you know, be better conduits to the audience as a vessel for fear. Or even a, a great example is Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, you know, where she's tiptoeing through the whole movie and, you know, a- away from this serial killer. But yeah, it's so it's it's fun. It's claustrophobic. I like it. I, I mean, it's it, this again. We're kind of making fun of these five minutes because they're boring, but they're necessary and they build up to what we're coming towards. You know, it's you. You always have to have a little break too for the audience to recharge their brain uh, in preparation for. There's so much that goes on after oh, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much crammed into the ending of this movie. Yeah. I think we get a little bit of that momentary recharge for the audience when Ripley kind of does that. I, we didn't mention it in the last minute, but she does this sort of meditative, has this meditative moment in the elevator right before the doors open. Yeah. She takes that deep breath and like, you know, it just seems like she's going to do a bit of yoga for a second and then she snaps out of it. But we, we take a deep breath with her and like, okay, uh, she's she's indicating to us that we need to probably take a deep breath now because from here on out, it's going to be pretty tense. Right. It was a long yoga scene that was cut. So yeah, DVD. Just, well, it was, it was really supposed to originally supposed to go down like sixty floors. Right, she was exactly. going to be in the lotus position the whole time, but um, but here we get a little break too, where we're reoriented back. So like we watched her come out of the um, elevator, look around, shoot off a couple of uh, incinerator bursts, and then we cut to a POV shot of her, right? Like a nice handheld yeah, POV. Yeah. That then integrates us into the scene. So now we're not just watching; we're with her, you know. And I yeah. think that's a good way. We've collected ourselves. We watched. We we've gotten the geography of the area. We've kind of seen what she's going to do as the scene plays out, which is be very precautious, 
fire off a few flames here and there. And then we're uh, Cameron cuts over to a POV shot to bring us into the scene. So now we're going to be walking along with her. I think it's pretty, it's pretty shrewd. I think it's a pretty good bit of editing uh, that they do here. That that now we're fully in. You know, it's not going to be moving super fast from here on out. But it, like you said, Susan, it's it's starting to build, and that's one of the building blocks. Is I think this cut to the POV shot. Well, it's just it's very good storytelling. And notice she ducks under from the POV shot, the shaky camera POV shot. She ducks under this glowing pipe, and I maintain that that's a glowing hot. Its heat is why it's red and glowing. But I, I think I, it's a red. Tube. I'm becoming convinced. Yeah. Yeah. But you. I may, mean, look at after she ducks oh. under it. You can see the steam coming off of it. It yeah. looks. I mean, it looks. It, it's a strange. If it's a light, it's a strange looking light. It looks organic. Yeah. It looks a little bit organic. So I think it's it's the. Uh, the power plant, you know, the the plant is it's self destructing, you know, that kind of thing. It's 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 a very dangerous white hot pipe that she's ducking under, which is adding to the feeling of treacherousness and this crazy obstacle course that she's going through to get to 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 Newt. Yeah, I'm looking at it yeah. now, and you might you might very well be right that that's meant to uh, that's meant to evoke. A pipe that is that is so hot inside that it's glowing red. Joe is agreeing yeah. with me. Okay. Yeah, I think it. Well, I mean, we have it on tape. Not only does it make sense because she's I'm in. Sorry, I hit. I didn't hit explode. record. I'm sorry, we're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we were in a place that's about to explode. So these are probably like relay pipes that are you know whatever the the heat exchangers that you know got set off whatever it is that causes a uh, building to explode. But again, practically speaking, you wouldn't have a big glowing red light in a room that didn't cast any red light on the scene. Yeah. Like as the the DP, the yeah. uh, if that choice was made to have a red light in there, they would be choosing to make the scene red. And it's not red. So clearly this isn't a light. It's just a glowing uh, pipe. And, and I can't say from firsthand uh, experience that I've seen things glow like this. Like I've seen – well, I grew up in the country, you know, and we had we had wood – fire stove that heated our house which and decade did job. you which decade was that the 1930s the 1980s oh, okay 1980s well we lived on the country and it just you couldn't get gas lines out there i mean maybe we did but it was yeah. just more efficient you know we had a wood fire stove in the in the basement that were had the, were you the that went into the were you living in the dust the bowl and the depression well i'm going to tell you it, it it was it could get really hot and one day it got really really hot in the house like so hot in the house it was like what is going on and what had happened was I was the you know being the you know, the boy in the house I guess I was stuck with the duty of cutting the wood, splitting the logs, all that stuff, and throwing wood into the fire. And I there's a particular kind of wood, hedge wood, right, that burns super hot. And I just was just a dumbass kid, and I shoved as much hedge wood into the stove as I could. And I went downstairs where it was so hot. I went downstairs and I looked at the stove and the stove was glowing red. The side of the stove wow. was glowing red, yeah. almost white around the edges. That's how hot it was. Yeah. So it's not unrealistic that something would get so hot that it would glow like this, even it's though very, it doesn't look very real. Did you have hired hands? Did you like hire drifters? And like, cause if you ever have to have to uh, hire a drifter and then have to kill one. And it's the perfect <laughs> thing to dispose of the body. Oh yeah. They burned hotter than, than the hedge would. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, we, no, we didn't. But yes, yeah, so there's more. Of my some of our listeners know I have a bit of a rural background, but that's uh, and part Kansas... of it. I grew up burning wood for heat. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like uh, are how many members of your family are actual cows? Yeah, that's that's kind of our perspective <laughs> that's, here that's... in New York City. Really. Sorry. That's... 
see, that's the thing is that, you know, here in K- Kansas City, where I live now, is as urban as it gets. You know, oh, you, oh, you I mean city slickers. With wood-fired stoves, but that's just for uh, <laughs> the fireplace or whatever. But there, it was like really the efi- most efficient way. You know, it didn't cost a penny. You know, why not do it? And it heated the house very well. So anyway, uh, enough about that. That's what I just wanted to make the point that glowing red is something that I have actually seen and is a, a hmm. real thing. Yeah. But it would be – I don't know if you could get close enough to it as Ripley is. As, as close as Ripley is to it, it seems like it – I don't know. It I had to get like right be... up to the stove, open it up, and pull some of that wood out because it was so hot in there. And I was like, clearly you don't want your stove to be glowing like that. Well, so I actually had to take the old – you know, yeah, you can pick the, the fire poker and I had to claw a couple of like burning hot logs and pull them out and then threw them out into the snow, um, pushed them out into the snow to – like lower the heat a little bit so i had to get pretty close but i was sweating yeah but look at people who work with metal uh, you know iron workers and uh blacksmiths i come from i I come from blacksmiths my great-grandfather was a blacksmith or even people who work with glass you know um that they're they're working with things that are glowing white red pink pink just like this you know they're handling that stuff yeah that's true look at the opening scene of of flash dance you know, there you go. There you go. Just watch, that's all go the, back and watch Flashdance again. That's all you need to know. That's okay. all the reference yeah. you But need. what was that, in Pittsburgh? Flashdance. Yeah. What was Flashdance? I can't remember. Steel Town, right? She's a steel There's worker a... in Pittsburgh. Yeah, maybe it's Pittsburgh. There's, There's also the opening to Detroit All the Right Moves like with Tom Cruise, which I think... Uh, there's a lot of that going on in that movie too. So, what are you asking? If the physics of heat is different in Pittsburgh because it's... that's exactly where I'm going with this. I, I'm thinking Steel Town, baby. They're they're that's used why to it. They're born it's Steel Town, to so they have different uh, ways of doing it. I don't know. <laughs> their things work differently in Pittsburgh. That's isn't that their slogan? Come to Pittsburgh. Physics works differently here. <laughs> heat, heat. That says on the on thermodynamics their, uh, on the, the tourist uh, the board. Thermodynamics. The Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh tourist board. Assuming there is a Pittsburgh tourist board. I don't know. There can't, there Every can't, city there has one, be, right? There can't be. No. I don't know. Every city has one. Oh. It's just most of them are highly inefficient. <laughs> you got me. How do we get tourists to come come to Pittsburgh more? Let's tell them that the laws of physics don't apply here. I don't know. <laughs> we that can handle it. pipes that are glowing red and pink. We can with our bare hands in Pittsburgh. Come to Pittsburgh and come, come play and with see that. play with steel, burning hot, yeah, glowing, and steel. get third degree burns on your flesh. And that's the, come to Pittsburgh, come for the third degree burns, stay for the great restaurants. I don't know. The Andy Warhol Museum. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I don't have anything left to say about this minute. Do you guys? I have one quick question and it's excluding Susan. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. I'm 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 going to take a nap while you guys do this. Joe, come on over here. We'll talk. In the final, in the last minute, in yesterday's minute, Susan brought up how great it felt in 1986 to see Ripley being an action hero. And I want to ask you, John, as a male, how did Mm -hmm. it feel to you? Because what I remember as a male was not thinking there was anything unusual about Ripley as an action hero or Sigourney Weaver as an action hero. I didn't see her as different from Bruce Willis or any other, or Schwarzenegger, any other action hero. And I didn't think that I didn't enjoy the movie because it had a female action hero. And I don't, it really baffles me that we now live in this culture where I'm being called an SJW for, you know, by these cretins who are complaining that 
that uh, Daisy Ridley is the hero of Star Wars, and, the, and, and all of this stuff seems to be new. And yet, 30 years ago, 31 years ago, uh, it just seemed like it was fine. It was normal. We, where were these Cretans 30 years ago? I know I wasn't one of them. And well, uh, like, what was your reaction to seeing, uh, seeing this female action hero on screen? I on, I've never given it any thought until the last couple of years. Yeah. Where the, I think the conversations changed. I think all those Cretans were there, by the way. They were all there. Um, the, the, I just that think they that didn't they have did, Twitter? Could, is that, was that well, it? Well, there's that. The, yeah, there, there isn't as much of an echo chamber that they were a part of. There is um, – I, I don't know if they cared about a movie character so much back then. Like I feel like it's part geek. It's it's a like combination geek, right. between like yeah. toxic masculinity, having a, more of a platform, and nerd culture. So back mm. then, nerd culture was a lot different. You might have heard you might have heard a conversation in a you know the back room of a comic book store over a game of D and D about it. Like oh, why did they have to make the her this uh, a female character be the lead in this movie? I don't know though. Mm. I never wanted. But it never it. even occurred to me that that was. I couldn't even have that conversation because, and I was young in 1986. I was 19 years old. Now that's prime age to be a toxic male, and you're even younger than me. I know, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm baffled by this because it didn't occur to me even for a moment that this was not cool. Well, one unique thing about Ripley is the movie, you know, the first of the series. She was the hero from the beginning. Uh, so, like, unlike Star Wars, where you know the heroes were Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and Princess Leia was a little bit in the background, and so bringing Daisy Daisy Ridley in, or you know, bringing in a female lead, feels a little bit like they're replacing it. it just like, I mean, we had just had the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. controversy, which was you know so ridiculous. Um, it's a a lot of it is the replacement, you know, the feeling when you already had a male character and you're, you're then moving up a female character, whereas the beauty of alien, which was, you know, is, is that it started with this female character. So nobody had to think about it. Um, and there was no cluster of heroes like, you know, Wonder Woman is one among a bunch of superheroes and happens to be the, the, you know, token female. Um, so that was, you know, one of the really brilliant things about alien was it was just an organic you know she was you know and you didn't even that was one of the great things about the original alien too is because you weren't used to female leads um it was a surprise when when ripley ended up being the hero of that movie uh you know it it added to the surprise of the movie you kind of thought dallas or kane were going to be the center of the movie when you just started fresh never having seen it you know uh, and and so it was a very novel thing to have um ripley be the lead you might not have noticed it but it was novel it made the movie feel fresh i think well i do i totally agree and i had never thought about it before this the replacement hmm. uh context yeah that might I think be, that, that does might be have a, thing, a lot yeah. to do with it because Ripley didn't replace anybody. She organically became the hero of this franchise. Right. So we've only known Ripley as the hero of the franchise. Even as you're watching Alien for the first time, you're not sure who's the hero. You have assumptions, but you're totally bu- buying into it. I mean, I imagine there was a handful of people that were like, oh, like the woman would be the one that survived. You know, I'm sure there was a few people like that. But for the most part, everyone accepted it. Right. Now, being my age, I didn't know Ripley. I saw this movie first, so... I just always knew Ripley as being the, the hero of the franchise and never had even a moment to think of it differently. And, you know, I, I came into consciousness, you know, really like watching television 
and movies in the late seventies, and there was Linda Carter on TV already being Wonder Woman. So yeah, I and Lindsay Wagner. Yeah, like I'm. I was Lindsay like, Wagner I'm like, too, yeah. I'm like Bill Haverchuck on uh, Freaks and Geeks. Like I thought the Bionic Woman was just as cool. Well, yeah. it, I, you know, the, unfortunately, things have gone backwards. I mean, we, we were emerging in the seventies from racism and from sexism somewhat. Um, and in fact, you know, you watched. I remember, you know, as a kid, I watched Sanford and Son. I watched. Um, Fat Albert show, and I never thought of those as black shows. I, as a kid, I really, yeah. honest yeah, to God, we... I did not think of them as different than any other sitcom. Uh, you know, it's just another culture or whatever. I mean, it just, I, it just didn't, it, it didn't feel but like these, a black these show. These things were not controversial when in right. the seventies. And we things grew up. have gotten more pronounced, and I think that's a really sad thing. Unfortunately, um, we now do even more than we did in the seventies. Deem one thing black and one thing white, and one thing you know female and one thing male. Yeah. Um, and I think it is unfortunately a growing pain of the twenty first century. Um, and it does have a lot to do with social media and all these creeps kind of coming out. Um, and it's just something we I think we have to go through to emerge on the other side of, you know, really not thinking about this stuff anymore. Um, it has to sort of come to a head having Donald Trump as president, um, having this Harvey Weinstein controversy and finally realizing what's going on within the industry. Um, uh, you know, this is really a lot thanks to social media. Um, and uh, because Trump is such a joke and, and you know, we're going to hopefully emerge from this with this totally in our past. But unfortunately, we're at sort of a peak right now of being very conscious of everybody's race, sex, gender, sexual orientation and religion, you know. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that we're going to come out of it, too, and, and that maybe this is just the thing to do it. Because like I said, I know that these people were there. This, this, this stuff was happening. I mean, the, the misogyny, the racism was all under the surface. Um, I, I wonder if now applying it to this popular culture in this way isn't bringing them all up to the surface to the point where maybe we can purge it out. Or yeah. I'm hoping. I don't know how that works. Like I'm, I have no experience. We have no precedent for that really. But um, I like to think that the fact that it's now not being applied just into the households and so on, that's mm. the scary part, right? Like because these guys have always been there um, having these attitudes towards their wives and daughters or or towards their neighbors or whatever it may be. Now that it's out in the open and we're talking about movie characters, it's almost like, are we? Are you kidding? Are we? Is this really been here this whole time and this is what you're talking about? Maybe that'll cut the legs out from under it a little bit. I don't know. But yeah. like I said, I don't know if that's how it works. But that's the hope. You got to kind of hope that somehow this will all end in something positive. But um, I do think that, you know, having it being apl applied to these pop culture icons that we care so much about, like franchises like Star Wars and so on, might shine a light on it a little bit and make every – like there's certain people out there. You know, I've lived my whole life uh, – like I said, I grew up in the country where racism was right there in front of me. But it wasn't being applied to anyone else. Like it was it was just people talking to each other. And it's just like, OK, well, those people are idiots and I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Now, because they have this platform, they're applying it to everyone they can possibly reach. And it's like now I can look at people. You know, I could come here to Kansas City. You know, I moved to this uh, to the urban areas. And tell people that grew up in urban areas what's going on out there. They're like, you know, 20 years ago, they were like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Really? People really still like that. And now it's like, see, yes, they are. And yeah. everybody knows it. And now you don't have to convince people right. that um, the racism's still there. The people that were in denial of it or mis that misogyny's still there. Now nobody needs convincing. And same yeah. goes for, you know, 
the government and how the government functions. It's like, well, for a long time, a lot of people have been saying, look, you can't trust the government. They're going to pull all kinds of crap on you. And people are like, I don't know. And now you go, no, they're doing it right in front of your face now. You can't deny it yeah. anymore. And they're digging... you know, this lack of deniability might help us. And, and, the, and the racist and sexist people are digging in their heels because it's all coming to a head. You know, and again, I hopefully we're going to get on the other side of it. Um, you know, I think we are going to get through this. And we are actually, you know, within the next five years, it'll be much better. And even if it's the next 15, 20 years, you know, hopefully it doesn't take that long. But to bring it back to yeah. movies... Um, this idea that like, having Rey be the main character of the new Star Wars, having Wonder Woman now be a prominent character, um, I mentioned in the last minute, I, I love that uh, this is going to be commonplace. This is that little kids are going to be feel empowered by this. That's what really matters in the end. Like to me, I don't give a shit about what reasons the studio have for, have for doing it. If they're trying to, oh, the marketing tells me that um, Catholic, you know, I'm Kathleen Kennedy or I'm Lucasfilm, I'm DC Warner Brothers. The marketing yeah. tells me that we can sell tickets with a female lead now. So when we're doing it, fine, whatever. All that matters is that my kid, who's five years old now, grows up thinking it's perfectly normal. And and we get right. back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. To me, me and Joe, we all thought it was normal because we had but, Linda Carter and Lindsay Wagner on TV. Well, we had Carrie Fisher yeah. I mean, and you, so on. But you, let's get back to that. You have a child. And, you have a five-year-old child. I have my... I don't have children. I have my nieces who are both yeah. nine years old. And so I'm very conscious of this stuff thinking about it now. But I think back to when I was nine and when I was five, when I wasn't conscious and thinking about any of this stuff. And it never occurred to me that I require all of my heroes to be boys because I was a boy. Yeah. So I don't even know. I, I guess I can't even understand where this stuff comes from well, don't because I don't understand the part of the brain it comes from. We're now also weeding out the Harvey Weinsteins and Harvey <laughs> Weinstein was a progressive, a supposed, mm -hmm. I'm sure he told everybody he was a feminist, you know, and, but he, <laughs> but you know, we know what, what he really is. And that is a, a whole process. Now we're going to be weeding out these dinosaur men, you know, who are at the top of the food chain in the movie industry and the television industry who, you know, yeah. really clearly this has been prevented also um you know a, a more female roles you know while they're saying they're feminists you know if they really have this mentality of being predatory towards women they're not you know and they're and that's going to affect the products that they are putting out um so you know hopefully also there's just going to be a changing of the guard and and that you know that has to have been affecting the last you know decade several sure. decades Imagine the uh, lack of opportunity for female directors because they didn't play ball, so to speak. Exactly. Like how many times did that come through? Of course. Sure. It's, and so, yeah. It's, it's absolutely ubiquitous. I mean, think about women writers, women producers, women just, you know, in general, uh, in, in, as, you know, in any position, not just the actresses, but camera women. Um, that all affects basically, you know, ultimately how the movie comes out and the perspective of the movie and the environment of the production. And actually, I'm I'm doing this week a, a special episode uh, on my Shining podcast about sexism and Kubrick. And I'm going to talk about, you know, he was a very ultra masculine uh, director. And that led to, you know, a certain kind of environment that, um, you know, the female actresses who had to participate in his movies and, the fe you know, there were no female crew, but the female actresses certainly had to deal with that. And, um, you know, ultimately his daughter, Vivian, um, has stated on Twitter that she was sexually abused when she was a kid uh, in the mo in the environment of the movie. We have no idea who it was, but, you know, he had an ultra masculine 
environment that was dangerous to females and you know had Shelley Duvall having panic attacks and Shelley Winters practically got fired for just you know being her, herself um, this genius actress um, and so I, you know again I don't want to trash Kubrick but it's a, just another example I mean look at uh, Alfred Hitchcock was you know way way worse um, you know so yeah the, the idea of women being able to break through to be directors it has been more than a glass ceiling it's been like a sheet of metal above our heads you know well we should move on to tomorrow if you guys want to remind everyone where they can find you online uh yes uh i'm on the the shining podcast shining 237 podcast with the shining 237.com and uh also on itunes and i'm joe dater and i my cartoons appear frequently in the new yorker magazine and you can find that on a news at a newsstand or a magazine seller near you, assuming there's one near you. <laughs> and you can find us at alienminute.com on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast or on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. All right, we'll see you tomorrow for minute one fourteen.